The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. It's your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you from Oakland, California. One of the, uh, you know, countdown to move town. Countdown to uh, when we are exiting California, uh, uh we might be in our our last couple weeks. We are likely in our last couple weeks here in the Bay Area as everything gets sorted out. And we uh, take our wagons south to Austin, Texas. Very exciting. I'm sure for all of you who own homes or have gone through the process of buying a home, we are currently in the, in the appraisal process which is uh just a nightmare a nightmare and a half yeah a bank is telling you how much your house is worth but you know how much your house is worth because you just paid for it and how do they determine how much the house is worth by determining how other people have paid for other i don't know it's a thing uh uh you want to know what? I actually have gotten so stressed out about this that I've relied on our Discord a little bit more. And so I went there. You guys can join this at bit.ly slash jury discord, J-U-R-Y-D-I-S-C-O-R-D, 24-hour chat room where the best community in politics resides. I, I will I will say that. Just awesome, awesome uh, uh community there and I, I I've, I've just been so burned out that I, I I asked them hey what's the biggest deal what's the biggest deal in politics right now because there's a lot of stuff that we can tackle and the first one the first person who came back and told me was where's my stimulus and so you want to know what I'm going to answer that call we will have a state of the stimulus, because if you are listening to this when it drops on Wednesday, there is a chance that you are only 72 hours away or less from a vote on this stimulus package. And, and you will have a roadmap to know if things go wrong, how they'll go wrong. We also have the return of a beloved segment here on Politics, Politics, Politics. Oh, yeah. It's the parade of wrong opinions. We will discuss Ted Cruz. We'll discuss Kids in Cages, QAnon, CPAC. And then we will wrap everything up 
with a visit from one of our favorites, the host of Congressional Dish, Jen Briney. She and I are going to take a look toward the future of Congress. With Trump out of the picture, we are reshuffling where all the uh, power lies, and we are going to take a look to see what the priorities and the likelihood of successes for those players and their agendas will be. But All right, here's the bottom line. This thing is likely going to be passed by the end of the week. The Democrats from the White House to the House to the Senate have done something rare and actually gotten on the same page. Not shot themselves in the foot, but then fighting. That is, of course, between when I'm recording this and when this is supposed to pass on Friday or Saturday, they, you know, shoot themselves in the foot because they start infighting. So I'm going to walk you through what is going to happen, likely to happen, but but I expect to happen. And that is in four specific steps. All right, this is what's going to happen. Step one, we have a bird rule ruling. In fact, there is a chance that by the time you listen to this, that this has already been ruled on. But the Senate parliamentarian is going to decide whether or not the $15 minimum wage roadmap, which would, over the span of five years, slowly put the federal minimum wage at $15, whether or not that is not in violation of the Byrd rule. The Byrd rule basically says that because the Democrats are using reconciliation, a budget maneuver that only requires a simple majority in the Senate and the House to get this bill through, that anything involved has to be directly related to the budget. So the Senate parliamentarian is going to see whether or not she rules that it is indeed related enough to the budget to go forward or not. That leads us to step two salve the feelings of whomever gets hurt by this bird rule ruling. And for sake of simplicity, we're going to take that down to two people. Bernie Sanders might have his feelings hurt because if the Senate parliamentarian says that the $15 minimum wage roadmap is not sufficiently related enough to the budget and therefore in violation of the bird rule, then that means Bernie Sanders and therefore the progressive caucus is going to have to understand that the fight for 15 is not going to happen with this bill. They will have to figure out another way to do it down the road. However, if the parliamentarian rules that the $15 minimum wage is indeed close enough to the budget, Then Joe Manchin, who is 
right now the most powerful man in the Democratic caucus and quite possibly Washington, he's going to have to decide whether or not he is willing to stand in the way of this stimulus because he doesn't believe that the $15 minimum wage law should be a part of it, which he doesn't. Reminder, the Democrats need everybody in the Senate, including Joe Manchin, including Kirsten Sinema. Those are the two most likely to stray. However, will they stray when the heat is on? That's the question. And so either way that the bird ruling goes, somebody's going to have to get their, their feelings massaged. Bernie Sanders or the moderates. That brings us to step three. The Democrats have to get their votes together, but more importantly, try to peel off as many GOP votes as they can. Now, we're going to talk later this week with Bill Scher, who has uh, just written a thing about bipartisanship. And I would encourage everybody to go find Bill's Twitter and, and read his article But one of the elements of it is the idea that the Biden White House is saying we do have bipartisan support for this bill. Sure, nobody in Congress, but the people. COVID-19 support is broadly popular amongst Republicans and Democrats. So I want to stop here. Because as we stand with step three... I would not be shocked if specifically in the House, maybe not in the Senate, the Democrats are able to peel off some Republican votes for this thing. And that, to me, is crazy. The Biden White House, Pelosi and Schumer, have shown very, very, very little inclination to work with the Republicans. And that comes after Joe Biden spends all of his inauguration talking about healing and uniting and being together and we're all one happy family and he's the president for everybody. First thing he does out the door is totally run a one-sided process for COVID-19 relief. And this is an optics issue. Let me ask you guys a question. What on earth was the GOP strategy to affect, if not topple, this bill. The Republicans right now are so balkanized that they couldn't even coordinate a response. They haven't really made any kind of big deal about the fact that so much of the money in this bill is going to state and local aid, and they believe, if you actually dig do your research into this, they do believe that, It's an overpay for what the shortfalls are. But try to find that in the mainstream press. Try to find that in in any kind of coordinated message with the GOP. They haven't demonized a $15 minimum wage as a small business killer. This used to be a layup. This is a mid-range jumper at, at worst for Republicans. They've been demonizing the minimum wage for as long as there's been a minimum wage, and yet you've seen fairly little concerted effort to do that this time. They haven't even counterproposed anything en masse. 
I mean, hell, they didn't even hammer the Democrats for for, for taking down their $2,000 direct payments because they needed to overpay the cities and states. If you're going to run the populist version of this opposition, that's the way to do it. The Democrats promised they were on your side, but when it was $2,000, they had to take it down to $1,400. Why? Because they got to put money in other politicians' pockets. That's why. You have seen precious little of that from the GOP. The only material thing that they have done so far is Susan Collins' weak-ass gang of 10 went to the White House where they pitched a smaller version to Biden and it never really even got considered. Worse than that, they gave Biden the high ground because Biden then made a big deal about how this was his first big meeting in the White House and it was done with Republicans. Look, I'm reaching across the aisle. He got the sheen of bipartisanship without actually doing anything bipartisan. You know that the Republicans are out of sorts when the attack dog that I was able to find the most vicious quote from is Mittens Romney. Quote, there's been very little effort on the part of the White House to meet with us and to see if we can find a middle ground, a common ground of some kind. Despite what I think is an accurate assessment, both by the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal saying, wait a second, the data shows that the extent of the difficulties in states is far less than the administration has anticipated when they put their plan in place. We've tried to ask for an effort to get together to see if we can't adjust the president's legislation, but so far there's been no uptake on that. I think the leadership in the House and Senate just wants to blast ahead with reconciliation without any input from Republicans at all, and that's not a good way for legislation to be crafted. End quote. When Pierre Delicto is spitting fire and nobody else is, is, is standing up in unison with him to yell and scream, you know that this grand old party is out of sorts. All right, sorry for the digression. Big finale, step four. Pass this son of a bitch on Friday or Saturday. If you're the Democrats, that's it. Get this past the finish line. You're not going to go bipartisan, so you've got to get it done. If you don't get it done, it is a gigantic black eye. And at that point, you're going to be scrambling to get something done with the Republicans. If this is done by the weekend, Biden's off to a good start, and Schumer and Pelosi will have done their jobs. The Democrats will not immediately reveal themselves to be feckless weasels, and it will be a big point on the board for the blue team. You know, friends, the best part about Texas is its famously mild winters. Wrong! Oh, well, in that case, it might be time for... Wrong! Yeah. 
You know, Ted Cruz really gets along with his neighbors. Wrong! Appearing on the Ruthless podcast, this is Ted Cruz discussing how pissed off his wife Heidi was that her neighborhood group text where she was trying to recruit other fellow neighbors to head on down to Cancun to ride out the Texas storms were leaked to the New York Times. So she texted several of our neighbors. Now, look, our neighbors, we've got a number of Republicans who are neighbors, but we also have a number of Democrats. And look, obviously, it's a sign of how ridiculously politicized and nasty and and just, you know, here's a suggestion. Just don't be assholes. You know, that is kind of rich coming from somebody who has made his living and brand being one of those being an asshole to people on Twitter is the reason why you like me if you like me kind of guys. I mean, I guess on on its face, I would be annoyed with my neighbors if they leaked my group text, but that's probably why I don't talk to my neighbors. Hey, Joe Biden is all about getting the kids out of cages that Trump put them in. Wrong! Mm, yeah. Uh, this week, uh, under Joe Biden's administration, the uh, first migrant facility for children has opened up. This obviously uh, was a hot-button issue throughout the Trump administration. Uh, it was a hot-button issue under Obama's uh, administration, to be honest. We will see how long... It is a hot-button issue now that Trump is out, but there we go. Although, I guess it isn't technically wrong. That was not a wrong opinion, because he's making new cages to to put them in. So, there's that. Hey, the majority of GOP voters have a favorable view of QAnon. Wrong! This is a Suffolk University poll... Trump supporters, so not even Republicans, Trump supporters, their opinion of QAnon, 21% undecided, 43% never heard of, 31% unfavorable, 4% favorable. And again, this is Trump supporters. This isn't even... GOP, this isn't never Trumpers, this is Trump supporters' opinions of QAnon by Suffolk University, and that's a a respected pollster. This kind of matches where I've tended to think of QAnon, mostly because, I mean, the first place that I ever heard of QAnon was on on the, the Reddit, the underscore Donald board, but mostly it was... Trump supporters making fun of Q people for saying that they were following this crazy ARG. I've never gotten the sense that the vast majority or even a sizable minority of Trump supporters were Q fans, but this has kind of become a meme and something even more since January 6th and the Capitol riots of of a focus. But that was the first kind of poll result that I had seen with that. I thought it was interesting. And finally, at the conservative gathering CPAC, which will happen this week and into this weekend, 
entitled America Uncancelled, it is impossible to be canceled. Wrong! Social media celebrity, for whatever threshold you want to put on that, Young Pharaoh was summarily uninvited from giving a talk at the Conservative Political Action Conference after anti-Semitic comments were found on his social media posts. In doing uh, just a little cursory research on Young Pharaoh, he seems to primarily be like an Instagram, YouTube guy. He does a lot of live conversations. But he's also got this habit that I tend to find with people who get into racial and religious arguments where you're just, you're always going to get into trouble if your argument spans more than a hundred years. If you are somebody for whom is constantly referring to things that happened 300, 400, 600, 1,000 years ago, that's where you, you tend to almost universally get into racial or religious trouble. Just Pharaoh, you gotta keep your arguments like, all right, this happened 50 years ago because you watch enough of his stuff and I only spend a little bit on it. But even just skipping around, it's always like, well, in ancient Greece, this is what white people were doing. And in, uh, 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 you know, uh, 600 years ago, this is how the Jews operated. And it's like, always, always, for always and forever, I will always raise an eyebrow when, when you're setting your argument hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the past. And it got young Pharaoh canceled. And that brings us to the end of The Parade of Wrong Opinions. Folks, if you want to get double the PX3 that you are already receiving, if you want to make sure that when political news breaks, you have the Justin Robert Young hot take delivered as fast as possible into your ear holes, then there's only one place to go, and that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Two bonus podcasts each and every week, and every once in a while... We've got a little special guest. I mentioned the uh, Senate parliamentarian up top in, in the first segment. I wanted to know if there was anybody that I knew that would know that woman's name offhand. It's Elizabeth McDonough. Because she has a, a pretty important job to play over the next couple of days. And so I called the person that I thought for sure would know... And that was Andrew Heaton. So you get a bonus little uh, uh, 10-minute segment with me and Andrew Heaton, and you will find out whether or not Andrew Heaton, off the top of his head, knows the name of the Senate parliamentarian if you are a member of the $3 Club. It's just so easy. 
Go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Make sure you are signing up at the $3 level. Get your custom RSS feed. You put it in the podcatcher of your choice. And that's it. Even if you change your pledge, your podcast feed will stay the same. Always getting you the content you deserve. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is the host of the Congressional Dish podcast and a frequent guest here on PX3. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Jen Briney. We did record this a week ago, so just know that this information, if it happened uh, in between last Wednesday and when you were hearing this, that we're not going to talk about it. Because we can't. Because we can't go back in time. Unless we go back in time right now and say... Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be back. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, free of this heat and burden. Uh, always, <laughs> always so. It's just, oh, I'm tall. I wear a top hat. Like, like, look at my elbow patches. Just, just constantly with this guy. Finally, we can just, we can just uh, uh, talk about Congress. Yes, he's always impeccably dressed while I'm in my PJs. We just, I can't have that. It's too much pressure. No. I know. And uh, uh, now we can talk without an insurrection happening. That's a treat. Uh, uh, that's that's a fun time. So uh, uh, sunny days ahead, including really what I wanted to have you on for, which is let's look into the world of a Trumpless Congress. <laughs> like uh, uh, we, we obviously had a very chaotic four years uh, 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 congressionally in terms of it, like at least the priorities. Usually this the uh, process tends to be fairly orderly. You have the White House that has like the four things they want to do. You have the Senate that maybe can wedge in one or two things amongst the major pushes. You kind of divide that over a term and that's what you get out of an administration as opposed to what we had for the last four years, which was I don't know. What do you want to do today? <laughs> well, uh, tax cuts. They wanted tax, tax cuts. cuts. Well, no, that's that's the one thing that always happens. No matter what, tax cuts will happen if, if a Republican's in the White House. But but maybe we'll start there. How would you compare and contrast what we saw the last four years with what we will not see going forward? You know what's kind of fascinating is that the Trump factor was such a big deal in the executive branch, but it really wasn't that big of a deal as far as Congress is concerned because he was just the pen. You know, as yeah. far as Mitch McConnell was concerned or even Kevin McCarthy or any of the Republicans, he was just there to sign the laws. So I actually don't see that making that much of a difference in the operations of Congress. In fact, what it's feeling like to me right now, it's feeling like... 2017 all over again because all three brand or <laughs> in my head it's all three branches it's two branches house yeah. senate and um executive branch are all essentially controlled by the democrats and so i feel like for at least the next two years there's going to be the possibility of actual legislation and so for me this feels more like a return to the beginning of the trump administration because Back then, it was like, okay, they're going to make some laws. And so when I come to look at my job of reading what they're passing, like it feels more serious right now that we don't have divided government 
that I have to take the bills more seriously. I have to watch their progression where if there's divided government, there's really not much to see. Um, So yeah, now that Trump's gone, I think we're going to see some investigation still into what his administration did, specifically the pandemic and whatever we want to call January 6th. So he's not entirely gone from Congress, um, but there's a different pen. Joe Biden has the the pen that will sign the laws, and that's really the biggest difference as far as Congress is concerned. So let's start there. W- what do you think the, the, the actual life cycle of either investigations or any kind of legislation that is related to the Trump legacy, be it January 6th or anything else, is this something that kind of comes and goes does it does it fade away or does uh, uh it remain something that will just be a hot button issue for both sides and therefore we're going to talk about it a lot well i do know now that impeachment is over and the order of this is fascinating to me but now they're going to actually do an investigation into what happened that day it's kind of backwards <laughs> so we didn't get witnesses in the impeachment but we're getting them now so Um, Nancy Pelosi is promising a 9-11 style commission and they're going to call the chief of the Capitol Police to explain what happened with security. So there's definitely this isn't over. The January 6th thing isn't over, even though impeachment is done. And one of the bigger concerns that I have is that there is a bipartisan movement to get some domestic terrorism bills into law. Mm. So the one that's on my radar right now that I'm watching the closest is the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act of 2021. This is bipartisan. It's almost 50-50 Democrats and Republicans. And that would create new domestic terrorism offices specifically in the FBI and give them more power. And right now, the version that I read a couple days ago has unlimited funding authorized for the new office, keeping in mind that the FBI is the same organization that investigated Martin Martin Luther King as a domestic terrorist. So just re-empowering the FBI, where in the 1970s they were trying to rein them in, that is something that I definitely have concerns about. I also have concerns about us calling Americans terrorists based on the Patriot Act and all of the rights that go away once you're given that label. So that's my biggest concern in the aftermath aftermath of um, January 6th, is that there's going to be a 9-11 style commission and overreaction that leads yeah. to loss Number of rights. Number one, also... Just in general, before we get into the actual politics and and, uh, policy of this, we need a better thing than just the 9-11 style commission because it, it just seems like like that's like a like a mark of uh, like like quality like oh man like this this is a 9-11 style commission here like like let's let's just come up with something that's like comprehensive we we got to figure out another nomenclature on that yeah but I'm I'm totally with you and this was something that right afterward I, I you know I've said on this show I'm worried about Patriot Act 2 I'm very yeah. worried about Patriot Act 2. I'm worried that you know Joe Biden at the time that we're recording this is going to air a little later but uh Joe Biden was up during his town hall on CNN talking about how you know like white supremacists are the biggest uh a danger to America which I'm certainly one who draw no comfort to to white supremacy but if the political result of that is a an erosion, a further erosion of of freedoms and law enforcement's ability to get further into our business, then that seems to be against 
the will of the people that we saw over the summer, which was pushing toward reining in the the uh, police state that as it actually interacts with us. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think that people are seeing it that way right now. I'm seeing a lot of encouragement of this because there's a lot of people angry about what happened on January 6th that are saying these are terrorists and they should be on the no fly list. And I'm just seeing a lot of reactions from, you know, the people that really hated Trump. Um, they're encouraging this and we have to be really careful when we encourage things like this in Congress because the ramifications of it last a lot longer as we've seen. I mean, we're now in our what 20th year of the Afghanistan war and we're coming yeah. up on 20 in Iraq. I mean, what happens in these periods that feel like emergencies, they last for a lot, lot longer. And so that same crowd that you're talking about that was marching over the summer saying the police are out of control are now trying to give a lot of domestic spying powers to the FBI. And it's it's the same group of people that are doing it. It's a fascinating dynamic, but it's one, it's one that really concerns me because the Democrats now have the House, the Senate and the executive branch and they can actually do these things. All right, so let's look at the anatomy of how this happens. Where is this bill written? Is it the House? Is it uh, uh, the Senate? Whose name is on it? Who would be pushing for it? If if, if uh, the audience is looking to see uh, this progress, who would be uh, who are, who are the, the the usual suspects that we're paying attention to? Sure. So the one that I just talked about is HR three five zero, and the lead sponsor of that is a Democrat. Someone I. I've never heard of, to be honest with you, Brad Schneider um, of Illinois. But then the co-sponsors, there were like six of them, and I can't find them right now. But that's the and one. This, this is in this is in the House. Yeah, and it's just been yeah. introduced. But then there was another one from 2019, so even before the insurrection, Adam Schiff, who was the head of the Intelligence Committee, he was already trying to expand powers for the FBI. Um, so it's this is one bill, but it is a pattern. So yeah. and when you look at this, there's there, it's, this isn't the only one. There's another one that's trying to stop the people involved in the Capitol storm from getting security clearances. So basically they can never get high level government jobs. Um, there's This is just one bill out of what I could see happening in some way or another. Um, there's a lot of bills that get introduced but don't become law until they get attached to government funding, which is another yeah. reason we have to pay attention to all of them. Or none of them. I've seen stuff get attached to law and government funding that never had a bill to begin with. It's just originally in that, and boom, like boom, it's law attached to government funding. So I just feel like instead of focusing on the individual bill, the important thing is to focus on the movement and um, momentum towards this yeah. in Congress, but yeah. So HR yeah, watch it, watch it through the House, and 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 certainly, I mean, that was the the that thing with the bite with Biden on stage yesterday. It's just like that's that's the kind of stuff where it's like, and I don't want to get too you know like uh, uh, reading the tea leaves, but I I do. I said in the newsletter after the Biden thing that like that whole event was an acted out press release for which, you know, Anderson Cooper knows the questions that he's going to ask Joe Biden. Joe Biden knows those questions. He's going to give answers that that are going to advance the agenda. And if, you know, that's where we're setting the stage is we have enemies within and we need the tools to to deal with them, then it's like, ooh, yeah, it just yeah. feels like this is 
moving along. Like there's like rumblings in places that I don't like rumblings if this is going to be a serious thing. Well, and then you pair that with all of the talk about how social media really needs to crack down on people that are sharing information that doesn't match what the administration wants out there. And that's when I feel personally concerned because it's my job to look at what's going on in the government. And I'm going to say things that the Biden administration isn't going to like, and they're going to be true. I always fact check what I say and provide my sources, but sometimes the sources are not New York times. You know, sometimes it's something that was leaked by Russia, but it's still an American official on the phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so are they going to shut, us down as misinformation as part of this whole the enemies are within and the enemies have you know if you look at the january 6th whatever we're calling it i call it the storm i don't know if it fits the definition of insurrection but whatever when you yeah. look at that I, I, i've been i've been going with capital riots i, I feel like okay. there's the you know the capital riots to me there was a riot it was at the capital it's the capital riots and and that i feel i feel comfortable with that that works for me too so the day of the riot you can see that they're putting the blame on social media for it even happening. So they took Trump off of Twitter. Parler was taken off of the internet. So the two are very much connected when they talk about domestic terrorism and trying to stop independent people from sharing information with each other. And when I look at what's coming up in Congress, this is definitely a theme that I'm concerned about because there's a, for example, I think it's this week, there's going to be a House Oversight and Reform Committee hearing on parlor parlor because a parlor's apparently back um but it got hosting from some russian hosting company because amazon web services dropped them the week yeah. of the capital riot also keeping in mind that amazon does the hosting for the cia and our other intelligence services so it's it's kind of fascinating to me that amazon then made parlor disappear from the internet so there's connections there i would love the investigation to be into the cia amazon relationship like how (laughs) much are they different or the same um but that's not the investigation we're getting we're getting the investigation into parlor bad and parlor maybe russia so that's kind of where they're headed with this is shutting down or at least investigating the avenues that we're using to share information and um yeah (laughs) so yeah what specifically in that bill are they that you said that they are it's it's increased funding and it's through the fbi but is is there a any kind of specifics as to what they'd be able to do aside from just like oh just the fbi will drop a wish list of things that they want and we want to sign off on that wish list with infinite money Well, the bill in its current form really just creates new offices and funds them, gives them the authorization to have unlimited funding. Um, That doesn't mean they will have unlimited funding. Obviously, it's appropriations that gives them the money, but just that authorization means that these are not going to be small offices. Um, And then it just has reporting requirements. So it doesn't do anything like the Patriot Act did that basically said, like, you can be held in prison without trial. It's not that yet. but I'm just looking at, like I said, the momentum of this and then looking at the yeah. hearings that they're planning to have. They're having a bunch of hearings about the tech companies and Section 230 and should we take away their liability for what we say online. And, and it's all being done in the name of 
January 6th was so bad. It can't happen again. These people are domestic terrorists and the people that give them information are aiding and abetting and should be treated similarly. So that's my concern with what I'm seeing. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly becoming more and more queasy with the phrase misinformation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. I just, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. This gets into a kind of beyond the, 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 the drill down on Congress, but like, there's a lot of information in the world. Like, like when, when, you know, when, when I was a, a, a print reporter, like you realize very quickly that uh, things you think, you know, things you think you have hammered down can be different. It, it's not odd for that to be the case. It's not crazy for you to realize that, uh, uh, there's more to a story than you might've thought, or that you were being lied to out and out being lied to by, by sources or the sources was being lied to by their, by, by, by the source of their information. It doesn't necessarily always have to be conspiratorial or, or malignant. It's just the world is complicated. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like when, especially when you mix in that with politics, like I feel like there should be no, no concept of what misinformation is when you are relating to political arguments because yeah. they are inherently po- political speech is misinformation like or at least <laughs> a, a politically directed information to get a certain outcome and i don't know i mean like, talk about something that i would like uh, uh, uh further looked into but like that hunter biden story the hunter biden laptop story that got effectively scrubbed off the internet in in the waning days of that election whether you think it was the biggest story in the world, the one thing that I think we can all agree on now based on all available evidence is that it was true. Yeah. It was real. It wasn't misinformation. And yet it was treated and tagged and scrubbed as if it were misinformation. And then, you know, Biden wins uh, for a million other different reasons. But it's like, oh, now we're just going to be like, oh, yeah, no, it was definitely real. Like that was mm-hmm. definitely his laptop. And there definitely is apparently a blind laptop operator in Delaware uh, uh, that, you know, this story just kind of got memory hold, which yeah. is really scary. Yeah. It's gatekeepers determining what we get to see. And actually off air, we were just talking about that Facebook for financial reasons because of a financial dispute with 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 Australia is yeah. now banning our ability to post and share all news from Australia from the whole country that amount of power that they have to determine what we see now obviously like i don't really go on facebook anymore because of stuff like that so maybe what happens is we all just stop trusting facebook and it finally gets to be a smaller platform but just the fact that we are allowing gatekeepers like that to turn on and off the information i mean our own shows are are well i don't know how much marketing you do on facebook but they're openly saying that they're going to switch the algorithm so that political news and shows like ours are not going to be shared as much no matter how much we want to pay them um so they really are determining what conversations we get to have and yeah, Congress is actually cheering it on is what I'm witnessing on both sides. Okay, so yeah, then, then let's get to that. Let, we'll, we'll swing back to Congress because if there's one thing that Congress loves is cameras showing up and, and them getting to talk with their names on the screen. So we have seen, even through the pandemic, 
uh, various different hearings of social media. We have seen antitrust uh, uh, cases being filed by the Department of Justice and many attorney generals throughout the states. Do you think there is an appetite in this Congress or the Biden White House's cheering on thereof for any kind of tech reform or 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 or, or breakup or anything like that? Is there anything congressionally that, that we are seeing in terms of the big tech all caps of it all? Um, I do, actually. Um so one of the things that I noticed in the last Congress that is already filtering into this one is this conversation about changing Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which essentially gives these tech platforms immunity for what we say. So, yeah. you know, I can go... Safe Harbor is how I think a lot of people in, in my audience that came from tech networks and stuff like that. But that that's, that's what we all understand as safe harbor, meaning that Unlike a newspaper where if it ends up in the newspaper, it's the it's the publisher's fault for putting it there. Yeah. This puts the onus on like, all right, it can show up, but you got to remove it in a in a timely period. Yeah, exactly. So um, there is talk in Congress about changing that. And it's very loud talk and they're having a lot of hearings about it. But one thing that I don't think a lot of people recognize um, or are aware of, although people in Congress are aware of this is that the issue has been over for a while now because there's a provision that's very similar to Section 230 that got slipped into international law in two recent treaties during the Trump administration. So we have a new trade agreement with Japan and then mm -hmm. the new NAFTA, the USMCA. Yeah. It got slipped into there too. And so essentially these international treaties trump our laws. And so they can go ahead and try to change 230 all they want, but the repercussions of that is that these tech companies can then take us to World Trade Organization court. And if we don't decide to change our laws, then our tax money can basically be forced to go to these tech companies and to re repay them for whatever damages they can convince the D WTO our changes are um, are causing to them. Um, yeah. or we'd have to change our laws back. So the section 230 thing is it's noise in my world because there are people, especially the democratic party that know damn well that this is the case. In fact, Nancy Pelosi was trying to get that provision taken out of the USMCA and she failed. So they know this, the antitrust stuff is far more interesting to me and it is being dealt with in the house and the Senate judiciary committees. And so the House Judiciary Committee, they had a great investigation that went on for the entire 116th Congress. It produced a 130-something page report where they specifically looked at Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook, and then basically said, like, these are monopolies and these are a problem, and they're going to pick up right where they left off. Then there's also the Senate Judiciary Committee, where Amy Klobuchar is going to be the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee subcommittee on antitrust. And she already has a whole bill that's written. Yeah. And I haven't read it yet, um, but that's that's something. And that's something that I'm actually really, really excited about because I, as concerned as I am about, you know, Democrats pushing for tech company censorship, I think in our country, just in general, we have a monopoly problem going on. We have the illusion of choices, not only on tech, but in grocery stores and car rentals and banking and so many industries where one parent company owns all the others. Hotels are a great example. There's just so many of them. So when I'm looking at Congress right now and where I have the most hope, actually, it's in antitrust because I'm seeing it in both sides and... 
I think it solves a lot of problems that the Democrats have been talking about um, when it comes to, you know, wages and workers' rights. I mean, there's a lot of problems that we have because of the power of these big companies. Like, for instance, they're going to have a hearing. I can't remember which um, committee on forced arbitration clauses at Amazon. And we have those as customers and as employees of these giant corporations. And so where I do have hope, it's in this antitrust area because they've been talking at least the Bernie Sanders wing of the um, of the Democratic Party has been talking for a long time about the problem with corporate power. And I'm seeing real evidence that they care and that they might be able to do something about it, at least in these two years, while they do have the ability to dingleberry stuff onto government funding. Because I don't think it'll pass with Republicans in the Senate. But government funding, that's where they have their opportunities to slip things into law. I also wonder about the Biden side of that too. (laughs) Like, because if you look at where all the Obama people went after Obama left, it was a lot of Palo Alto and and Menlo Park boards that, you know, now they've all filtered back to DC. Mm -hmm. And part of me, the cynical part of me wonders whether or not, you know, these companies get regulated when this like, you know, entire cadre of people spent their summer vacation in Silicon Valley and now they're back in now they're back in DC. So yeah. which is I why when I look at the whole the hearings they're having on 230 and all the conversations about 230, even though they know damn well that this is settled in international law, I feel that's part of that play where they're pretending like they're going to do something about it, knowing that there's going to be court cases and international and that well, the immunity is not and going beyond, away. Beyond the, the fact that there's international law, it's it's not an actual solution. It's a threat. Yeah. Like 230 is a threat. Like it doesn't actually solve any of the problems that, that you might claim, even the ones that we just articulated here about like misinformation or censorship or whatever. It doesn't solve that. It would basically just be saying, hey, would you please get your act together or we're going to make you spend a lot of money on lawyers Mm-hmm. And we're we're also repealing 230 would have essentially be kind of like regulatory capture on on any kind of new Internet stuff, because now you would have to have X amount of lawyers to even get in the game of creating an Internet thing. So like it, it's it's there to kind of threaten uh, uh, social media companies. But even then, it's like, you know, Twitter is probably the smallest of them and they've got money enough that they could just spend, you know, money on lawyers and figure out whatever that issue is. I think the idea that people have that this would cripple, you know, social media if 230 went away is kind of misguided. Yeah. I think the antitrust has the real teeth. And where I get cynical about it is how much is this going to be used as a threat to get the censorship that they want? Because we have to keep in mind in 2016, this is the same crowd that thought that information from Russia is the reason Hillary lost, which I completely, I don't agree with that at all. I think Hillary lost for a lot of legitimate reasons. Um, But this is the same group of people that is saying information is the problem. And so they know that this 230 thing is not really the issue, but antitrust that can really hurt their businesses. If you tell Facebook you're no longer allowed to own WhatsApp and Instagram and you make them break up, that is going to hit their revenues. Like that's what they really care about. So I'm afraid that this antitrust thing is just being used as basically a, a threat 
to get them to do exactly what we're seeing they're already doing, you know, taking shows like ours and putting them down in the algorithm so that corporate media is what you see first in the search rankings. And um, I, we're already seeing that the official line is what's getting pushed out on the internet and they want more of that. And that has, that's been a democratic party thing since 2016, where they're the ones that really want to crack down on the information. It's actually the Republicans who are, you know, constantly pretending to be victims of some kind of censorship that they don't really have. But just the fact that they're crying censorship all the time, they're actually the ones that are arguing for free speech. It's kind of this weird bizarro situation. Um, But yeah, that's, that's what we're, that's my biggest concern with this Congress that's controlled by Democrats is that they consider information a threat. And I don't know how much these hearings are going to be aimed towards solving problems for the American people or solving problems for their political goals that are threatened when people like me expose what they're they're doing, you know. All right. One last quick question and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, COVID-19 relief. Uh, that has been obviously the big thing that has uh, happened over the last few weeks, aside from our little sojourn into uh, another fruitless impeachment. But uh, <laughs> do you think that this happens the way that uh, the Democrats assume it will through reconciliation? Uh, uh, no one's going to uh, spoil the party. Uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to uh, fall in line. Or, or do you see that this is going to be more complicated than they might expect? I don't think it's going to be all that complicated. I think the things that we're talking about, like the $15 minimum wage thing, I think that is just being proposed so that that's the thing that gets taken out. I mean, that that was the most obvious thing. It's like, all right, these are the things we really care the most about. Like yeah. this thing that we'd get tortured for if we didn't uh, pass, uh, this thing that we have uh, we weren't able to get through with the Republicans, and then this gigantic golden statue <laughs> like all of them are necessary we need all of them and it's like obviously you're just going to get rid of the one thing yeah. that you actually don't care about yeah the reason i think that this is actually going to go through and quite quickly is because i just for my last episode finished reading the covid relief from the corona bus and there were some real early arbitrary deadlines put in there with March 14th being a nasty one, which is the next time that unemployment's essentially going to run out for anyone who's a gig worker or is self-employed. So they become ineligible. And then those $300 payments that are making up the difference between what states, some states pay very, very little in unemployment and it's just not yeah. a living wage and so the federal government is filling in that hole with three hundred dollars a week all of that expires on march 14th which is let's just acknowledge absurd no one in their right mind thinks that covid's ever going to be over by march 14th and when they made this law in december they didn't think so either um yeah. but that is the deadline that they set and that is going to affect constituents in every single district in this country and so Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema can bitches all all they want, but their constituents are going to t- demand that that unemployment not run out. And so I don't think America right now as a whole realizes what that deadline is, but they're going to in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And there's no way that they're going to hold out and prevent people 
from getting those payments over their pet issues. It's I just don't see it happening. So yeah, I think we are going to get this COVID relief. I think it has a good chance of actually being decent since they can do it without the Republicans playing saboteurs. I hope what they take advantage of is the ability to set the dates. That's been the most frustrating thing for me the whole time. When it comes to money for the bankers, the date has been until the end of the emergency. But then for stuff like unemployment, they keep setting these arbitrarily early dates. Um, And what sucks about that too is that the state unemployment offices, they have to do all the paperwork all over again. Like we're taxing our workers in these state employment agencies by setting these ridiculous dates too. It's just a a cascade of bad governments that governance that goes on from the top on down. And, um, I just, I want that to be done with. I would just really like to see the provisions that we need. You know, the bankers are fine. I'd like to see the provisions for workers be extended until this is actually over so that we don't have to do this again in two more months when we don't have another opportunity for reconciliation. And so that's what I'll be watching the closest is to see if they actually make it until the end of the emergency or if we're going to have to play dates. this game again in, yeah. in dates, a few months. Dates, dates, dates. Let's, let's see. And, and then we'll be able to track it because of great shows like Congressional Dish oh, with thanks. Jen Briney, who has been our guest. Uh, Jen, anything else that you have uh, coming up that you want to let people know about? Um, yeah, so I'm in the process of doing the Corona bus. So I'm reading through that. So I just published an episode about the COVID relief. But more importantly... The last episode I produced, they solved the surprise medical bills problem that we have in the United States where people go to the Mm. emergency room and they say like, oh, your emergency room's a network, but all your doctors aren't. Give us $20,000. They solved that problem. And I didn't know that. So um, yeah, I give you all the details on that. And that's something that's going to... The good stuff doesn't start until 2022. That's the only downside. But once that happens, we're going to have... So much information on healthcare pricing. I think healthcare costs are to come down. Um, I'm actually really excited about something that became law. So I hope that people check that out because I think it will save all of us money. Look at that. All the dire uh, uh, hipster cynicism of this interview. And we end with something <laughs> wholesome, earnest, and exciting about our government <laughs> in action. Jen, thank you so much as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that'll wrap it up for us Today, a huge thank you to Jen Briney. She is at Jen Briney on Twitter. The easiest way that you can support this show is when you like a guest, you tell them that you enjoyed them on Twitter at Jen B-R-I-N-E-Y. Of course, you can always email the show when we do our mailbag on Fridays at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at px3tweets. You can find us live on Twitch, px3live.com. And of course, you can share this podcast with your friends and family, px3podcast.com. You can hit us up monetarily if you'd like to support the show. Many ways to do it. We have paypal.me slash payjury. On Venmo, we have Justin-Young-20. I didn't get a single dollar over the last week. I presume that is because you guys were supporting the, uh, the, 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 the Texas charities and funds that were going on over the last week. That makes my heart sing. But if you would like to give me uh, anything over Venmo, but I, I specifically like a dollar. I specifically like $1. If you like the show, Venmo Cash isn't real. Hit me up on Venmo, 
Justin-Young-20. And of course, mail. Mail me anything. P.O. Box 10853, Oakland, California, 94610. If you want the bonus content, however, you got to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is where our Titanic $10 tier resides, including Snuffies off Route 44, a new one. Alex, Catherine, Jason, Jay Sulu, Brian, Severio, Jacob, Alec, Government Unfiltered, Jerry, Andres, Neil, Archie, Darren, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Miranda, Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, David, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, Chris, Just Another Pilot, Mike, Scale, Jim, The Jen, D. Really, Frozen Summers, J. Pink, and Andrew, all of you guys, if I just read your name, go check your Patreon account because I've got a new survey so you can all get your new nicknames in for the next couple months. Until then, though, uh, that'll wrap it up for us on this particular episode. We are going to have Bill share on on Friday. Very excited to speak with him again. Uh, specifically about bipartisanship, the future of bipartisanship in Washington. But until we meet again, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares talk about Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.